1: Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable Women's World Cup podcast brought to you by Toga. We're going to start things a little differently with a quick interview with Kieran, who's been on previously, as he was actually at the Women's World Cup, so we're going to get some first-hand uh, information from him. Kieran, what was your trip like? How, how was attending the Women's World
0: Cup? Yeah, thanks for having me back on, Kev. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it was... An interesting experience, a real pleasure and a real joy to to be over there. And I spent six days in Winnipeg, so was able to attend uh, the two US Women's National Team games in Group D, along with Nigeria, Sweden, and Australia. Um, so yeah, a real real interesting experience to be in Winnipeg and be surrounded by the the ten thousand US fans who had kind of descended onto the city, as well as plenty of Swedes and Nigerians and Australians who. It really made for a partisan crowd. You know, big, big crowds of over thirty thousand across the, the the games that I saw. So, uh, an enjoyable experience and certainly one that I won't forget in a hurry.
1: What was the atmosphere like? Obviously, on TV, we're seeing some pretty astounding uh, turnout. Is that kind of engulfing the whole city? Is everybody really excited about it?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the atmosphere in the stadium was uh, electric, especially when the U.S. team played. I mean, the U.S. had the two late games. Obviously, these are double headers, so there are two games that are played on the days that, that the games are taking place, and uh, the U.S. had uh, the luxury of being the second game. So, as you would expect, that they didn't want to watch the first game. So the first game that we saw on the Monday between Sweden and Nigeria, there were quite a few empty seats. And then the first game on the Friday that was between Australia and Nigeria, again, some empty seats around. But when the the US games took place, the stadium was packed. There was barely any empty seats. And, you know, it was an experience for me because I've seen the US women's national team play in England. and And obviously, like you, I've seen them play online and on television. But... To actually be in the stadium and see the people who are all dressed up in fancy dress and in their red, white, and blue. I saw a, a female fan who had a brilliant Hulk Hogan outfit, which was amazing. And I really wish I had a camera and didn't at the time. And it, it's like nothing else I've ever experienced in women's football. You know, in, in England, where I am, it's still developing and it's still growing. But there is a real kind of... It's almost like following a band or an artist. The the best way that I can describe it is Abby Wombeck came on as a second-half substitute in the game against Sweden on Friday, and Mm. the roar and the cheer from the US fans when she came on. I can only compare that to what it must be like for young children, young girls, young boys who go and watch One Direction and they come on stage because it was that sort of cheer and that sort of response that Abby Wombeck got when she came on, and I've never experienced that in a women's soccer match before.
1: That sounds terrific. Um, You mentioned you might be able to get out and meet some players. Did you get to do that? And if so, what are their kind of impressions on some of the issues that we thought of heading into the World Cup, like like the turf and stuff like that? Have you gotten to get any first-hand uh, experience from that?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously because I had media accreditation, I was very fortunate to attend the pre-game press conferences, post-match press conferences and, and enter the mixed zone after games as well. So we were able to to speak to players, Megan Klingenberg, Carly Lloyd, Becky Sauerbrunn, we managed to speak to some of the Australian girls, Steph Catley, Emily Van Egmond, uh, Samantha Kerr. I think the, the overriding view is that they are really embracing it. I think they're enjoying it a lot. They're, they're enjoying the fact that they're in this group of deaf. Um, it's presenting a very big challenge for them. The, there hasn't been a lot of talk about the turf with the players. I think what, we've, what journalists have tried to do is get a gist of how the players feel about the games and and how they're feeling about you know the the, the fixtures that are, f- are forthcoming. Um, I mean, from a from a personal perspective, just watching the games in person, you can see that the, the the game plays very differently on turf. You know, there are there are passes that are played at a certain pace, and the ball just does not hold up at all on grass when you play a ball over the top of the defence, for example when it hits that grass, it's going to hold up a little bit. It's going to slow down. On turf, it doesn't. It continues with that pace. It just goes straight through to the keeper or off for a for a goal kick or a throw in, wherever it might be going. And I think that's something the players are having to adjust to. But there hasn't been a huge amount of questioning regarding turf while out there, to be honest with you.
1: All right, last week we uh, kind of posed a question that none of us really knew the answer to, which was uh, some of the tactical differences, like uh, the fact that more crosses are kind of lofted in that on corners, players tend to kind of cluster around the goalkeeper instead of lining up around the penalty spot and then all kind of charging it when it's uh, kind of curling in. Uh, do you have any insight as to why that's kind of preferred in the women's game?
0: It's an interesting question and a fair one. I think there's no real sort of right or wrong answer to it, but I, I, I can only assume that Players are trying to take advantage of the fact that if we're being honest and it's, it's just a fact that women's goalkeepers are not as tall and as not as physical as a male goalkeeper. So if you cluster a number of bodies around, it might be that keeper doesn't have the opportunity to get off their line and punch a ball away or come out and catch it because they're not able to get through the bodies that are in front of them. So if you do crowd them out, you try and play the ball into an area where it might be near them and they can't get near it. It could be that a forward or a midfielder, whoever it might be, or a, an opposing defender. An f- example would be someone like a, a Wendy Renard from the French team. You know, six foot plus. If the the opposition have crowded out the goalkeeper, someone like Wendy Renard is going to lap up a ball into the box where no one's challenging her, or the goalkeeper isn't challenging her. So, it, it's an interesting question. One one thing that I noticed in the games that I know that that were involving Sweden. They line up a number of players, maybe three or four players, on one side of the six-yard box when the corner is coming in, and just as about as it's just about when it's about to be played into the box, they kind of all turn as the ball is being played in and make a different position in the box. It's not something that I've seen before, um, but it wasn't to crowd out the keeper. But I think it was almost to confuse the opposition a little bit because it's not something I've seen before um but yeah in terms of crowding out the keeper i think it's probably because they don't necessarily have that physical presence that a male goalkeeper has so trying to crowd them out and trying to make it difficult for them to come and punch it or catch it is probably the reason behind that
1: all right any final thoughts
0: yeah, I mean, I know we were discussing off recording about Winnipeg as a host city and, and how Canada is holding the World Cup and, and one thing I would like to say is that, that the volunteers that are that are at the World Cup and, and in Winnipeg in particular, because I can't speak for the other cities, have been absolutely fantastic. Very welcoming, very helpful, um, very accommodating. And uh, you know, I think I can only speak from a media perspective, they were incredibly helpful to us. Um and I you know that I they deserve a lot of praise for that. Winnipeg as a whole, has has it been a, a great host city? There's obviously still a week left for them. They host a few more group games. Um, I think they've got a round of 16 game, but beyond the quarterfinals, that, that's it for them. There's been some criticism locally, and certainly it's not just from uh, international media. It's not just from fans, but it's even from locals as well. Um, Winnipeg is is a city that doesn't have a huge amount on offer at the moment in terms of when there are no games going on, there isn't an awful lot for fans to do. I went to Sweden in Euro 2013, and in between the games that were taking place, there were fan parks, so they would set up a big screen, they would have loads of seats. Uh, it would tend to be somewhere in the city centre, so you've got bars and restaurants around it, so local people and local businesses are um, you know, are making a lot of money and it's boosting the economy locally. There is nothing in Winnipeg. There, FIFA and the local authorities, and I think it's probably FIFA mainly, haven't invested any money or any time into making it a welcoming environment for supporters. There are 10,000 Americans that have descended onto Winnipeg last week to go and watch their team. There are Swedes in the area, there are Nigerians in the area, there are Australians in the area. And there was three days in between the games taking place. And there wasn't an awful lot for them to do. There's a nice museum and, and there's a zoo, but no fan experience, no fan park. Downtown, there is no signage whatsoever. If you were from out of town and you were visiting for business or whatever, you would not know that there was a World Cup going on because there is nothing in the city that suggests it. And Mm -hmm. this isn't just a criticism from me. This is something we heard on local radio. We heard journalists and uh, local newspapers were reporting on that as well. I spoke to local people who – one lady I spoke to said that she was a bit embarrassed because – um, you know, this was a real opportunity for Winnipeg to show what it had to offer. You know, people, when they talk about Canada, they talk about Toronto and they talk about Vancouver and they talk about Montreal. But they don't talk about areas like Winnipeg. This was a real opportunity for them to show what the city had to offer. People are great. People have been brilliant, really welcoming. Volunteers have been fantastic. No complaints with the people whatsoever. And this is not a criticism of them at all. But FIFA and the local authorities have had four years to prepare for this and they haven't really delivered for those that have spent their money and are attending the tournament. Some of them have travelled a long way. Some of them have spent lots and lots of money to be there. And there's not an awful lot for them to do. So it's, it's a real shame. But as I say, on the pitch, four great games I was witness to. Sweden-Nigeria, the 3-3 draw was yeah. fantastic. That was for me the game of the the first round so far. Um, and as I say, having the opportunity to see up close the U S women's national team and how they are just on another level in terms of interest and media scrutiny and everything that comes with it, that celebrity status that they have. Um, it was a great experience. Disappointed I had to leave so early, but, uh, yeah, one, as I said earlier, not something that I'll forget in a hurry.
1: Massive thanks to Kieran for taking time out of his travels to share his views with us for the rest of the podcast. You'll be hearing from the following guests.
2: Hi, I'm Jay. I'm from TheEaglesBeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. We cover the Palace ladies. Uh, We're also uh, covering a a few bits of the Women's World Cup and enjoying it so far. So you can catch us on Twitter at TheEaglesBeak. Hi,
3: I'm John Wallen from PlayTaga.com. You can find me at FantasyGaffer. I'm also one of the two Taga team members that curate the AtPlayTaga account on Twitter. And uh, you can find us uh, in the App Store and Google Play if you search for Perfect Eleven, which is our English Premier League game, or Women's World Cup, which is why we're here today.
4: I'm Andrew Gibney. I'm from French Football Weekly. I'm covering the Women's World Cup for Bleacher Report and for Women's Sport UK.
1: Great. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, we have Making the Rounds, where you can discuss briefly how our nation has performed at the Women's
2: World Cup thus far. Jay, what's been your view of the England ladies? Yeah, I, I mean we um, well we did okay in the first game. I, I don't think we tested um, uh, you know a French team which you know looked to have uh, have you know run the rule over us a little bit in that first game. We didn't particularly create a, a whole lot of in, um, opportunities. It seemed I wouldn't say as a strolling apart for France, but um, it, you know they kind of proved why they're rated um, you know higher than England in, um, in the group uh, oh, sorry in the in in the world rankings however um you know it's only a one nil defeat um i don't think england have beaten um, france first seven uh, since 1974 i think um i stand to be corrected but i th- it's a long time uh, since the England women have beaten the French women, um, so a one 0 defeat is, is no disgrace at all. It, I, I think the only downside of the game was that you know we didn't create a, a, you know an awful lot of opportunities to um, you know to get to really. Um, yeah, there was one controversial point in the game where there was an elbow by uh, one of the French players, which you know it's been argued that uh, you know could have could have been a red card. And I think there was another one, in, it was a very similar one in one of the other games actually as well, which uh, which wasn't penalised. But um, you know these things do happen, referees. Missed them and I think the referees have been similar quality in the World Cup as they have been. In, you know, we've experienced in the Premier League this uh, this last season. So, um, but the England ladies um, stepped up this week. Uh, you know, with their win over Mexico, um, first half wasn't that great. Um, you know, they kept plugging away, but I think it was quite even at half time. Um, but Eng- England ladies stepped up in the second half, um, and I think the, the, the biggest change was uh, an injury, um, which uh, um, you know, which, which um, Sampson had to make a change. Um, and it kind of opened up the game a little bit for England. You know, it made them a little bit more attacking. You can notice a difference in the players. Um, and uh, I think we got a deserved win in the end, really. It was a bit nervous towards the end with Mexico getting the goal back. Um, but it, you know it was a win that um, you know after the defeat for France in uh, in the earlier game um, it was a you know it was a must win game for England um, to get them back on track and um, and obviously you know surprise package being Colombia in that group it kind of uh, makes the last uh, last game's interesting, so um, I think yeah, no disgrace losing the first game to France. You know that, that was a big game in a group, um, and England have done what it needs to do by winning the second game. And um, I, I think really they will they would be looking to win the third game against Colombia, but they are the surprise package, so it'd be interesting to see what happens.
3: You know, it's been I think job done for the you know the United States women's national team. Uh, four points through two matches. Uh, the nil-nil draw with Sweden was hard fought came after uh, jill ellis tinkered with her lineup a little bit she brought in a 22 year old morgan bryan to replace abby wambach uh, in the starting 11 and uh you know for anybody that watched the match obviously a very physical game um a match that it it appeared was uh dictated in part by the fact that they're playing on uh, the artificial surface a little bit slower maybe in the final third uh, for both clubs and um you know sitting top of group D with Nigeria to come, the United States, I don't think can be complacent. I think they're going to need to see a little bit more. Uh, They're going to need to have uh, set pieces delivered a little bit more crispy, crisply uh, by Lauren holiday. I think that the attacking width that was so much on show against Australia with Megan Rapinoe, particularly down the left was not uh, as evident against the much more stout defense um, of the Swedish ladies. And, realistically, Jill Ellis needs to, you know, maybe, uh, maybe play a little bit more conservative a uh, lineup now against a very explosive Nigeria side, um, uh, that is so much predicated on speed, uh, so much predicated on the ability to counterattack through their three or four truly world-class players. Um, because if the United States comes out against Nigeria and, and takes a shock loss, or, um, this may be, uh, you know, it makes their road to the the to the eventual final in Vancouver that much more difficult. Yeah,
1: Andrew, what have you made of the France side?
4: Well, it's it's been interesting because that, as Jay said, that first game against England was really it was really cagey, and England England set up to frustrate and and try and sort of contain the French, and they did. Uh, apart from one mistake from Laura Bassett and Eugenio Sommer's excellent strike. That that's the only thing that really split the two teams. France didn't really trouble Karen Bardsley. England really didn't trouble uh, the France defence. Anything in that box, uh, Wendy Renard was there to, to mop away and sweep away. And you kind of thought that after that game, France would go on and they would start to show the class that they have shown in the last few years. But the, the Columbia game was a very typically uh, a typical display from the, the French women's team. They If they don't get their own way and if they don't score... They get frustrated and it's all shots from distance. Uh, the passes start going astray. I and mean, they had something like 24 efforts on goal and couldn't score. And Colombia scored. It was a really nice goal where uh, Ringcon Rincon, really nice ball over the top and sort of split that France defence. Uh, after that, there was the, the penalty decision that should have been a Stonewall penalty. But you sh- France shouldn't have to rely on that sort of decision. They, they, they are a better team than Colombia. They should be making more chances. There was a really good save from uh, least Busagli's shot that was tipped onto the crossbar. But it was all just a bit, all the passing was predictable. They were, they were too slow moving the ball around. They weren't really sort of, uh, stretching the Colombian defence. And there's, there's worries because Mexico showed in the first game that they are as good a side, if not slightly better than what Colombia were, and uh, were, and the, the pressure on France sort of have to win uh, because of the goal difference. They're sort of behind England and and they've only got three points. And it might not be they might be enough to scrape through a third place spot, but you really don't want to play one of the teams that's going to finish top in, in the last 16. So there's a lot of work for the France team still to do. Uh, Bergerou has got some decisions to make. There was some. In, Interesting and probably bad uh, changes he made. He dropped Amadine Henri from the midfield who really drives that team forward. She needs to start. Camille Abeli, who was the one that, that elbowed Laura Bassett, probably hasn't done anything in the two games at all. And, yeah, it's it's looking a little bit flat for France right now. That's that's a worry.
3: Um France right now, they're joint third on in mm. total shots with thirty-seven behind only Germany and Cameroon. <laughs> Colombia are dead last in the tournament they've only <laughs> <Yeah>. taken 10 <laughs> shots on uh, 10 shots total only four of those have been on target so I mean obviously the disparity in, in the attack is, uh, is and Three
4: they of them have gone in as well yeah exactly exactly <laughs> uh,
3: so I mean realistically that's that's a you know in in retrospect you know that may end up being even if Colombia do progress through even if Colombia do have a, a deep run in this tournament I think that still has to go down as one of the bigger upsets. Uh, in I've women's th- World
4: Cup history. I think mm. right, it's, the, it's the biggest, with, with the terms of the gap in the rankings, I think Columbia are 26, and France Furt is the biggest uh, upset in, in the World Cup history.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, for the Dutch side, uh, it was always going to be tough heading into the China match, having lost Lois Gers to injury. Um, but to her credit, Sarri van Wienendal did step in and do excellently for the Dutch, recording eight saves, uh, probably four of which were very impressive. Unfortunately, not being able to make a save late in the match that led to China winning. Um, Lika Martins, I, I only have the one match to talk about because uh, the, the first match was before the last podcast. But uh, the match against China was fairly disappointing after a very uh, excellent debut match where we saw a lot of technique and strength and passing. Uh, it just kind of seemed to all fall apart. The 4 3 3, they were running kind of led to the midfield being overrun, and I saw some people kind of criticizing the Dutch defense who have been praised for keeping a clean sheet in their debut. Uh, And I I honestly think a lot of the issues there was really that it the the midfield did very little to kind of uh hold play before it got to the defenders and and became a a genuine threat. Um Melis seemed to be kind of the main catalyst for the Dutch attack, still seen very little of Vivian Medima who uh, was mentioned as several people heading into the tournament is kind of one of those players to keep your eye on. And she kind of tends to just be kind of stranded up front on her own when she tries to take people on. It hasn't been successful thus far, which has been pretty disappointing on the whole. Um again, trying to capitalize on wing play, Melise was really the the focus uh in that regard. It wasn't Martin's like it was last time up the left. This time it was mostly down the right, but play was pretty isolated and and just never really seemed to get going. Um to be honest, and, and whether or not that this is more of a kind of true sign of, of ability and the first one was just a good match, hard to say. Again, haven't uh, seen them in a World Cup before, so hard to judge that as a whole. But uh, hopefully the truth lies somewhere in the middle, especially with a match against Canada looming where any result is probably needed to be able to, to progress, uh, even if it is that kind of third spot. Um, that to, to as Andrew mentioned where you have to play one of the better teams in the next round that would prove difficult as well. so uh, this was you know a match that I was I was hoping Netherlands would win heading into was ready to settle for the draw at about the 85th minute and then obviously conceding late on and I, I saw some people kind of blaming the turf. It did take a weird bounce that kind of course corrected but you know they had plenty of shots that, that should have gone in so I'm not gonna kind of judge that or say it was kind of ill-fated because a goal was coming. The fact that it came so late while heart-wrenching uh, wasn't really surprising. All right, uh, Andrew, we talked about the France match a little bit there. We hate always mm-hmm. having to go to this well, but uh, Jay mentioned it as well. Officiating, it seemed to not be great. This Premier League, worse than, than in recent memory, is this
4: one of the worst calls you've seen in, in Women's World Cup play? Uh, yeah, one of the worst. in. In any game I've seen, it was it wasn't even there was one in the, the Sweden USA match where it came off Sydney LaRue's arm and she sort of moved it a little bit, but this was a blatant. The girl as well as like it was like a basketball tip, just sort of tipped yeah. it over the, <laughs> the French player's head. There was no, you can't even say it, you can't even be if you're being very, very kind, say, oh, maybe it was accidental, there's no chance. She's genuinely gone to, to make an attempt and, she, and she's done it and she's tipped it over her head. And yeah, it, it's hard. You've not seen sort of what angle the referee's at, but then there's always the linesman. But it just it depends on where you're looking at at that time. But if someone's seen that, how they can't, any doubt that it wasn't a handball, I'm not so sure. It's the worst decision this World Cup one of the worst decisions I've ever seen, seen in football for, that I can remember.
3: Yeah, I mean, the odd thing about that, and you brought up Sidney LaRue, I thought Sidney LaRue was uh, was a blatant, intentional handball that was just missed. Yeah. But you could at least understand, because the ball's coming in to her torso level, she's kind of twisting her body one way, that elbow sneaks out a little bit, and if you're the referee, you're at the wrong angle, you can maybe either think she played it off her hip or that it was an unintentional deflection. Yeah. There's no possible way for that ball in the France match to go skipping away from the attacker's (laughs) head unless someone has maradoned it exquisitely from behind. And to have missed that, I mean, when obviously the whole world is watching the the tournament, but to miss a call like that, not only is it disappointing to see the level of refereeing, but I think it also puts FIFA under additional scrutiny in that they've been so slow to adapt any kind of uh, technological review process for any of these matches. I mean, that's one... Where That's not even open to interpretation. That's something that yeah. could have very easily been seen by a fourth official that could have instantly been communicated to the team on the field. They could have stopped play, properly awarded a penalty, and you know, the game would have gone on as it should have.
4: It's a very difficult oh. thing because even like Sydney LaRue it, it takes slow motion maybe two angles. You're thinking, yeah, that that's a handball, whereas that's so hard for someone to see in real time. But that all you need is one angle, one view. Yeah, that's a handball. Was <laughs> penalty? Move on. It's, it was a. It's bad, and there's so many people ready to criticise women's football as it is. They're, they're waiting for any excuse, and you you don't want that. You don't. It doesn't need that. It's it's a shame
3: you do wonder what's going to happen to the Quinn, the the official for that match, whether she's going to be given any matches um, once the final sixteen kick off?
2: Mm. I was going to say actually that referee struggled in that game. I think anyway because I I think there's one instant where the Columbia keeper came out of its came out of a box and handled the ball, and she looked desperately seeking assistance from from her line uh, you know a line assistant. Uh, she seemed to take an out forever to make a decision as to what she's going to do whether she's going to send the keeper off or take, you know give her a yellow card I think there's been a few instances that in in this in this world cup and again it, it's not an awful lot different to what we've seen in the Premier League this season in terms of you know um, decisions that have been made or not made or wrong calls and, and and things like that so you know it's difficult for people and and I, I you know I agree with you uh, Uh, with Andrew there in that, um, you know, there's a lot of people around there that are just waiting to jump and criticise women's football and it's very simple to do that uh, with some of the games. But I think, you know, when it comes to controversial decisions, it's no different to to the men's game anyway. So I think it's kind of irrelevant in a way. But I do think there's a few of the referees that have struggled to make decisions um, and, and look for more backup from their assistants in that game it's but um but like I say it's you know I think I think I think the same happens in a lot of uh, football at uh, different levels
1: yeah and of course because of the controversy as Andrew mentioned France are currently in third in their group struggling to get into that kind of promised top two that are going to go through we see other teams like Spain and Sweden who are well known for their women's football also struggling for those which sides do you think are going to be
2: able to really cement their spots to to advance well, for me, I think it's uh, I think Brazil were the first team to actually make it through from from their group, and I think that's a group that's going to struggle to see a third place team go through. So, those last few games are going to be quite tight. Um, as elsewhere, I mean, I think elsewhere it's pretty pretty tight in all the other groups really to decide. Um, you know the top two at least. Um, I think it's four third place teams out of six groups as well. So there's one third place team going to miss out. I, I've looked at that so many times and I can't decide where that third, you know, that, that third place team is going to miss out. It's going to be you know uh, based on those results in the last games. Yeah. But obviously Group B, you've got Germany and Norway that you, know, you would expect to get through uh, from that group. Germany with their extra goal difference, but I think know um, yeah, Norway might get a few against the Ivory Coast. Um, the league group Canada haven't really um, impressed an awful lot. China have impressed me, I must admit. They're unlucky in the first game. Uh, wouldn't yeah. surprise me, um, you know, th- those two going through, you know, um, Netherlands maybe missing out. Um, you know, elsewhere, I think, you know, England's group is an interesting one, and so is the USA.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.
2: group i think usa may just have done enough with the way the last couple of fixtures uh work out um but i fancy australia to go through in that group um i think they've they've looked pretty strong um Elsewhere, I've quite liked the way Costa Rica have played. I watched Costa Rica last night actually against uh, Korea Republic, and I thought they play play really well to come back and get that equaliser. They mm. they look pretty decent. So, um, so yeah, one of those teams are going to miss out. So it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, last round of group games. I have to say.
4: Yeah, I've been trying to do the maths to work out where the the third place teams are coming from, and you you're looking yeah. at. Thailand are going to miss out because their goal difference is going to be so uh, yeah. negative that, that having three points will make no difference the other one is going to be I think uh, Brazil's group because yeah. Spain Spain and Korea play the last game so if one of them wins they're going to come second and then mm. it's going to be Costa Rica on two points who are third so uh, Teams teams in third and France's group in the USA group other groups all have three points and not a terrible goal difference so you're looking at those are the, the four groups that are going to advance it's all a matter of, of who that's because that that France England group any of those three can still win the group and come third which is which is great getting into the last the last two games uh, same with the the China Canada sort of Netherlands New Zealand group it's, it's that so wide open uh, Canada haven't looked great and the Netherlands have got. As you said, that the first game they were so much better than the second game. So it's like, what what Netherlands team is going to turn up if, if yeah. they play the way they played against uh, New Zealand? They could get they could win, that. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. you got you got Switzerland Cameroon that that last the last game in, in Group C, which could be it could be five all for <laughs> there's, there's <laughs> goals goals in both those sides. And yes, yeah, I, I think it's people have been very critical of the 2014 World Cup, but. How many now in the World Cup now in the men's with thirty two teams? How many dead rubbers do you get in the last mm. in the last game? There's so many exciting games mm. to look forward to. It's gonna be great.
3: Yeah, it mean, really phenomenal slate of of final matches. That uh, Costa Rica, excuse me, that Spain Korea Republic match. Mm. I, I mean, I'm I'm pulling for Spain to win, and you know, not just because the last uh, this past weekend I picked Spain over Brazil, and, and when I did, Veronica Boquette herself favorited my tweet. <laughs> you know, making my heart skip a beat. But, um, I, you know, I do like that Spain side quite a bit. Uh, when we had Kieran on um, before the tournament started, we talked uh, at length about the fact that a lot of these women are playing professionally in Spain. A lot of them are playing um, for Barcelona, uh, you know, the, the four-time domestic league champions. And a lot of them are also playing uh, for top-level sides uh, that are uh, competing, making deep runs in the Women's Champions League. And I think that korea maybe showed a, a little bit of inexperience allowing costa rica um, to slip in and s- score that second goal And i think that spain's uh, greater experience is going to see them through here and you know, maybe a 3-1 match a 3-2 match and that should put them through i mean brazil having already qualified is not going to slow them down i expect you know a, a full-blooded match against costa rica i expect maybe, brazil to come through that one um, so you could see very easily brazil spain finishing one two there which uh, would help me out as well because that's how I picked my bracket in the World Cup <laughs> Challenge and I could really use those points at this point in the, in the tournament, falling a little bit behind uh, pretty much everyone actually, uh, everyone else in the office. So I could use a couple points there. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, um, usually we go uh, with Player Watch after this, but I think we're all kind of talking about all of these interesting matches that are coming up kind of vaguely and more specifically uh, the U.S., uh, the reason why, as Andrew mentioned, that the U.S. have have gotten kind of a nice pull of things is that Australia and Sweden are playing each other. So mm-hmm. if it's a draw, U.S. go through in first. If Australia wins, they go through in second, and in no scenario are they going to go through and have to face that kind of third issue. So I think that that while a very interesting match for those two, uh, for Australia and Sweden to decide who's going to kind of lock that place going through forward, I think that's going to be a really interesting one because. You know, obviously there's a lot of pressure on all World Cup matches, but as we've kind of mentioned now, these, these last few matches are really going to decide teams' fate. So kind of seeing how people perform under that kind of pressure is going to be definitely interesting going forward. So that's mine. What do you guys think is a match that people should be tuning into this week? I,
3: I just want to jump right on that real quick, Kev, because there's there's one scenario where the United States would want to progress through third, and that's should Nigeria actually come in and upset the United States by better than a two goal margin if nigeria comes in and wins that match like (laughs) three nothing then they would have everyone would lose their minds yeah and (laughs) and, you know the united states the united states would be on four points they'd have a negative goal differential nigeria would be on four points they'd have a positive goal differential so they'd be ahead of the united states then should australia and sweden draw i mean no matter the outcome, the united states would actually drop down to third because if australia sweden draw Australia would finish in second, the United States in third, Sweden in fourth. If Sweden or Australia win, they become the group winner. Nigeria finishes second, the United States ends up in third. So Jill (laughs) Ellis' ladies still have a little bit cut out for them. And Asusha Ashoola and the rest of the Nigerian side, they're not going to roll over on this one. They're going to come through. They're looking to take those three points. And, you know, we've talked about it here. I've talked about it some other places. This uh, United States women's national team defense is not, you know, the zero zero draw with Sweden notwithstanding, this is not the most stable group at the back. And this is an they can issue be because exploited. it's not the most
1: goal-scoring group at the front. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it could certainly be an issue. Um, and, you know, take Abby Wambach's uh, statement that if they were playing on grass, the United States would have scored more goals this tournament. That's probably true. This, this is a team that's predicated on outscoring their opponents uh, to a degree, and... You know, this could be uh, this United States match, you know, could be the turning point um, for, you know, women's women's soccer in the United States. If they were to get routed by Nigeria and either finish third and fall out of the tournament or finish third and end up having to play like Brazil or or Germany in the next round and and get knocked out there. You know, that would be I think that would be a very significant step back um, for the women's game here.
4: As, as much as I've enjoyed Nigeria's play I can't see any possibility <laughs> Nigeria win this game because they're never going to play any better than they did that Sweden game that was their, that was their World Cup that was their their peak you saw the, the game against Australia they struggled against a, a more organised team that could go forward with a, a decent defence Nigeria struggled they, they seem to have not a lot left in the tank. Uh, with the, the travel day, with the, the, yeah, I, I just can't see. Nigeria overpowered Sweden. It was a physical battle and they, they won that with pace and power. USA will match that power. may not match the pace, but I think that will be enough for the USA to edge it. They might, USA might not win, but I can't see Nigeria beating USA 3-0. I, I, it'd be amazing, it'd be fantastic, but I just, I just can't see it. The, the pressure for me in that group is on Sweden. Uh, they they got knocked out uh, four years ago. Uh, was two thousand and seven on four points to the group stage. But this that was before before three teams could go through. If Sweden get eliminated in the World Cup at this stage, it's the biggest it's the biggest disaster for them in World Cup history for a team with so much prestige in this tournament. It was so big for them to go out at this stage and against Australia, who looked really really good both games at certain points. I, I could see it happening. That'd be a huge shock.
2: Jay, what match are you looking forward to this week? Um. Yeah, there's quite a few. I think uh, the guys mentioned uh, already the, the spain Career um, Republic game. That's one which is uh, you know it, it's pretty big because of the fact that it's unlikely that there's a third-place team going to get out of that group, uh, uh, unlike the others. Um, I'm going to personally be looking at the England-Columbia game because I think that that's perhaps uh, bigger uh, than it maybe was on paper before the tournament with Colombia's performances in the competition. Um, obviously they've performed far better than uh, anybody expected them to um, obviously beat in France and and uh, they drew their first game in Mexico but yeah, you know, I think England could you know I think that France game may well have been a one-off um, you know that they, they, they did beat them but I think England have you know, have enough in them to uh, to get the result, but that's certainly a game that's uh, that's worth looking at. The other one I was going to mention was Switzerland Cameroon. I think that's uh, that, that's going to be uh, a tasty affair as well because both scored goals. <laughs> I think Andrew mentioned could end up being five five or something like that, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, it's it's going to be you know the way they, that both those teams have played so far. It's going to be quite an open game, and obviously there's a lot of stake in that uh, in that game as well, because uh, either or want to take uh, you know go through to the next uh, you know through to the next round, and you know there's going to be one other group that's going to not have a third place team go through, and it's going to be so tight to you know for for a team to miss out. It's it's going to be uh, you know on goals you know on goal difference or or, or whatever. It's going to be that close.
4: Yeah. I don't think anyone would have predicted that the England Columbia game would have been the game to win the group <laughs> before before the tournament. It's, a, it's absolutely crazy. It's, no. it's interesting for England because the, the first game, it was a defensive performance set up for straight France. Second game, Mexico, they mm. had to go out. They had to show that they can be an attacking team, that they can take on a team. Now they're going to have to show patience because Columbia mm. are going to do the same thing. They're going to set up to frustrate, and England will have to show that they can break down a team. Rather than sort of rely on mistakes, it's going to be eight nine players behind the ball, and can England do they have the players to get past it? It's going to be really, really that's a really interesting game. And as you said, that that Switzerland Cameroon game is just uh, I think you're gonna you need to watch uh, anyone needs to watch that one. It's going to be fireworks and mm-hmm. guarantee guarantee guaranteeing goals, which usually means it'll be nil nil. But <laughs> yeah, that that, is, that should be a great watch.
1: Yeah, I think that group is really interesting. I think uh, for England, especially for people that were watching the World Cup uh, last year as well, the men's, I think it's interesting that Colombia are basically playing the Costa Rica role, where you had England and Italy, who everybody was expecting to just kind of walk their way through the group that both struggle with Costa Rica going through, and now you have Colombia and a group with England and France, uh, both whom were ranked in the top five, if memory serves, and now Colombia is kind of playing spoiler there as well. It just kind of seems like England can't catch a break with kind of third teams and groups.
3: I have a question for everybody, because, you know, obviously there have been two huge, goal, two huge games, right, with 10 goals scored each, one for Germany, one for Switzerland, mm. and I know that there have been a little bit of rumbling about the fact that maybe this World Cup expanded too soon to 24 teams. So I pulled up on FIFA.com, actually, um, the goals for um, and the goals against, and if you exclude uh, the powerhouse that is Germany, the, uh, the Swiss, and uh, Cameroon... Because again, Cameroon won six nil somehow uh, in a match. Um, there are fourteen teams that have scored uh, between two and three goals, and that includes Brazil, the United States, mm. Sweden. I mean, very uh, you know top ten teams in the world. Teams, so, yeah. does anyone think that because there are these two matches, or if you want to, so for whatever reason, include the Cameroon six nil? Uh, Victory as well because we've had you know two matches through two rounds of play that this World Cup had expanded too soon, or do we think that this is just, um, you know, uh, part and parcel with the women's game still finding its footing?
4: I I think it's the perfect time. Uh, you look at some of the seventh women's World Cup, the men's is on the 20th. It was still only USA 94 that that the World Cup was 24 teams to the men, and you you have to expand. Teams are, teams are going to get these kind of the d- defeats. It happened when the men moved to, to 24. It, it happened when the women moved to 16 as well. But you've got like Switzerland. Who wouldn't want to watch Ramona Backman? Who, who and John, I know you'll support this, uh, Bouquet for Spain. You're getting these players who play for top teams on the world stage. And you know, Col- Colombia have just beaten France. If there's any argument for it, that's the one that this yeah. is going to happen. And without, although... You hope that Ivory, Ivory Coast learn from that, that 10-0 defeat. And the, There's uh, Tony Leighton who writes for The Guardian. He said that Argentina lost uh, 11-0 to Germany and they've never recovered. But it, it's, it, it's, it's it's given teams a chance to play on this stage and, and learn mm. and, and experience this. And you, you take that to the, the next. And you look at look at uh, Ashwa Oshawala, who would have watched from Nigeria when she was like 5-6 in the mm. World Cup. Now she gets to play there. These teams need to be given the chance. I I, I know uh, Grant Wall who ESPN wanted it to go to thirty two straight away, and that's that would be a bad move. That's that twenty four for me is perfect, especially with it with four four third place teams getting through, gives us this excitement as well, and it's going to be I think it's going to make it an even more more exciting World Cup, and I think you'll see the benefit in the eight, eight 12 years time as well.
2: I agree with a lot of what Andrew said, actually. I, I think it's great uh, a great time in, uh, for the World Cup to expand to, to, to what it has. I, I would go back to, um, I, I'll watch a bit of cricket and a similar thing happened in cricket in that they allowed um, some of the smaller countries to participate in the World Cup and there's a lot of questions about some of those teams being battered against uh, uh, some of the larger nations, but how, how are these country's going to learn how these players are going to learn by you know playing against teams of similar caliber. Um, they need to be playing against the big teams to be able to learn and evolve and progress and as as you mentioned john there's only uh, you know four games in this World Cup so far that you know have been completely one sided and that will happen because a lot of these teams haven't been uh, haven 't played at this level and, and playing against players which uh, you know they haven 't um, quite experienced before so I think it's a very good thing and I think this tournament itself I mean when you look at the tournament and think there's only one team which is Brazil through to the next round for sure with all the third round or you know third round group stage it's the good games to go um, and there's no there's no real team that's um, you know really on their way home yet other than you know, perhaps goal difference but I think every group is so tight and when you look back to last year's World Cup of the men's there was a, there's, a, there's, a, there's at least two or three dead groups by after after two mm-hmm. games each so I think the entertainment value uh, and obviously the statistics value going into into the last games of the group stages i think it's fantastic i think it's fascinating to watch and you know there will be games where you know you know score a few goals against the other because um, you know it's just how it happens sometimes but i think things will change going forward and i think teams will learn from it i think it's it's been great to watch i know a lot of people that have got you know got involved in watching it staying up late to watch the games because Everyone loves a tournament, you know. Everyone likes a big event, and, and that's exactly what it is. You know, it's football. We we enjoy football, and and the quality has been, you know, excellent. I, I have to say, I've had a lot of people say to me that uh, they didn't realise the quality of the women's game. Uh, I know it's, you know, a lot more publicised yeah. in in the UK now because we have live uh, women's football, that, you know, the Super League and, and things like that. But um, you know, I think when it's freely available to people on you know on television like it has been, uh, I think it gets a lot more people uh, interested involved.
4: Definitely. Uh, J- yeah, Japan, yeah. J- Japan are through as well, by the way. There's...
2: Yes, they are. Yes. Good shot.
4: <laughs> Another the, the, the <laughs> one point that Ivory Coast obviously beating 10 0. And people say, oh, it's such a shame. There was a video after that game of the Ivory Coast fans coming out of the stadium and they're singing and dancing. Yeah, they, and dancing they, yeah. They, yeah, they, they don't care they've lost 10 0. They're at a World Cup and they, they get to experience exactly. this. And mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. And you hope that those players, because that, that that Argentina game where they lost 11 though they didn't try to attack at all back in 2007 Ivory Coast gave Germany a bit of a game although they lost 10-0 they were causing that defence problems there were signs there that you think well this Germany team may, maybe aren't as good as everyone thinks they are and you have to yeah, give we, them so much cre- with credit for
1: like down the right they, they yeah. were really abusing them yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, those matches that we we mentioned, just uh, for listeners that want to tune in, uh, Netherlands-Canada is going to be on Monday. And then we mentioned three matches on Tuesday, (laughs) Switzerland-Cameroon, Nigeria-USA, and Australia-Sweden. Then England-Colombia is on Wednesday. Just uh, then call Thursday, Colin
3: sick now. That's all you need. Yeah, to do. <laughs> I'm doing it
1: now. But obviously Thursday, we're gonna have an off day before we start the next round. Um, all right, so now we're gonna go on from there to player watch, where we're gonna discuss a player that impressed and disappointed. Doesn't have to be for the country that you're representing. It can be. You know, just just kind of follow your heart.
3: Uh, should we draw straws to talk about Ramona Bachman? Because I
4: mean,
3: <laughs> is, is there anyone who hasn't been impressed with her play through two matches for the Swiss?
4: I have a massive crush on Rebona Backman. And it just, <laughs> it just absolutely. And when I, when I was researching the thing for Bleacher Report, I had to look at sort of 50 best players. And, and I had her down in the thirties when I was researching her. I was like, she has to go higher. She's so good. And then seeing her live in games is like, yeah, she's, she's amazing. It's just that directness. And the, there's the run against, uh, J- sorry, against Japan where she beat like four or five players and just fell yeah. over. She had nothing left. It was just so good to watch. And that, the Cameroon game just—I'll go away from back someone else. There is a Gail uh, Nganamui of Cameroon. You can't mm. miss her with the, the amazing blonde hair, which just as mm. the game goes on, this gets more outrageous. It goes on. She's looked. The same seems sort I of stay. It was Oshoala. just that power and pace, but skill as well. And she, she's a bit, She's going to be a star. She's playing in uh, Sweden at the moment. Uh, you can see teams are going to come looking for her. She looks an excellent. She sort of plays as a forward, as a midfielder. Wherever she wants to go, it's fine. Let's give her the ball and, and things start to happen.
3: We should uh, we should tip our caps as well to uh, to Anya Mitag, the German forward, who's currently mm. leading the World yeah. Cup with four mm. goals. She was. Um the other player that scored a hat trick in that ten nil game, of course, uh, so Silasessh scored Sessage, the, yeah. fastest, uh, the fastest, the fastest hat trick in, in women's World Cup history. Mitag also got three goals in that game. She, you know, she scored again in Germany's second game. Um, Thirty years old, you know, had a, a storied career, more than 120 international caps. She has, um, I don't know, 35 plus international goals, and uh, she certainly looked. Uh, you know every bit as good as her reputation was coming into the tournament and in a tournament where there are and not to harp on the fact that they're playing on turf and it's maybe a little bit of adverse conditions. She doesn't look like she's been slowed down one step. She doesn't look like it's bothering her. And um, you know she could certainly a be the, the golden boot winner. Huari uh, Sawa won that with five goals in uh, the Germany 2011 edition. Mittag well on pace to, uh, to surpass that and um, has been just a phenomenal presence up front for the Germans.
1: Yeah, for me, uh, like, I'm sure everyone's been talking about it, but Mielder's yeah, I mean, free I, cake. I, I would say similar. Oh, yeah, it was just absolutely ridiculous. The ice in the veins and just kind of the, the stoicness with which that was taken. And, you know, commentators, if you're hitting it, Anywhere within, you know, like 10 inches of a corner, they're going to say you hit it in the corner. That was literally in the corner. The fact <laughs> that that didn't hit either the crossbar or the post is staggering no, it, did, it, it
4: It did hit on the side of the crossbar. Just oh, did right it? In. Yeah, which makes it look even better, though. That adds a little bit Is that why it like, had it. that
1: extra oomph to it, like, towards the Yeah, that? yeah it that. Did. Oh, it's just absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, as well, Khadisha Buchanan. Yeah, Canada kept a clean sheet in their second match, and she's just incredible to, to watch and like a lot of people in in just football in general kind of talk about it's hard to really identify uh, players in defense that are like excellent because if their kind of line mates to borrow from hockey aren't performing well it's, it's hard to kind of be like oh well that player did well it's just everyone around uh, everyone else around them sucks um, but she she stands out every time, and for a, a player in in defense to stand out that much, I think is very impressive.
4: And she's nineteen years old as well, isn't she? Which is it's just nuts. Yes, yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. And she's still in college. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's quite depressing, actually. Uh, one that's yeah. really dispo- one that's really disappointed me is a uh, Lotta Shelon of Sweden, uh, the the Leon striker who's got like eighty goals for Sweden, hundred and fifty mm-hmm. appearances. She's doing her best impression of a uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost at the moment. She's just whether it's the way <laughs> sw- sw- Sweden are playing and she's got no support and they're not getting the ball to her but she's just she's done she's done very much nothing which is why Sweden are uh, on the verge of elimination.
1: Yeah, to back I mean, that up, just, uh, Dima, um, who as I mentioned before everybody was talking about heading into the World Cup, also young as a striker and and was expected to kind of just tuck in a lot of goals. Not as much history behind her name, but one of those like kind of up-and-coming, up, up and coming, really exciting forwards that's been pretty disappointing thus far. Whether it's lack of service, well, I'd say a part of it is lack of service, but like I said, even when she's in control of the ball, she, she doesn't really do much with it. Very seldom is playing attacking things, other than often just trying to sweep it wide to wingers, but the passes are getting cut out. And uh, I, I think that's a large reason why Netherlands
2: aren't safe right now. Yeah, for me, I've got two Germans, um, Sasic and Mittag. Yeah, Mittag's already been mentioned, but those two obviously score in lots of goals. I think they've both been very impressive for, for them. Two English players I was going to mention. Um, Jill Scott in the middle for Englanders. Uh, she's really impressed me. Um, just the way that she goes about a game, gets on with a game, and, and breaks up play and, and, and sets England off offensively. Uh, but also, um, Fran Kirby has impressed me when she's come on, um, particularly in the game against Colombia. She came on and um, it kind of changed the game for us in a way—a real outlet for England and, and caused them no end of problems. And I, I, you know, I think that's—I uh, think she's been a you know a bit of a, a you know. Had a great performance so far, even even from the bench. The, the one player that has really impressed me is the uh, is a French centre back, Wendy Renard um, Yeah, I think she's fantastic. I, I, even though France lost to Colombia, I think her um just just her just her appearance at the back and you know I know it's not just a, you know one player game in the back line but she's been immense I mean in the first game she stood out for me against England everything that went her way she won um even took you know took the ball down and distributed it well um I I think you know France you know, most players had an off game in, in against Colombia and she couldn't do it all on her own but she's still impressed with some of the things she did she's impressed me uh, in effort from all the players in the World Cup, I think from defensive-minded. Anyway, I'm, I, I used to play defence anyway, so I normally favour <laughs> those sorts of players. So, um, so yeah, she's um, yeah, i you know looking forward to watching some more of her actually in, in in the rest of the World Cup.
4: Yeah, she's been only twenty-four years old and is France's mm. captain, which kinda of says it all. She is such a leader. She's got five goals mm. in qualifying as well, which for a centre back that shows you how dangerous she is from, from set pieces. She is she is yeah. phenomenal. And she, like like Buchanan as Kim said, she stands yeah. out as a centre mm. back, which which not many do. Yeah, she she's she's superb.
2: Very accomplished on the ball. Yeah. a uh, for a centre-back, cent- And and that age as well, I think, you know.
3: And not that she's had very much to do through two games, but as Brazil uh, and hosts Canada are the only two teams to have uh, kept two clean sheets, it's worth mm. mentioning that uh, Brazil's goalie Luciana has three saves, hasn't really looked troubled very much. She faced nine shots, only two of them were on target uh, in the South Korea match, and then seven shots, only one of them was on target um, in the Brazil's one nothing win against Spain. Wow. But you know that team looks just so composed at the back. They don't look like they have um, any difficulty distributing the ball back out uh, to the midfield up, in up to, you know, their very experienced strike force. And it all starts with her. And um, she certainly played well enough that, that Brazil could win a World Cup, um, you know, this season, for the, you know, this year for the first time.
1: All right. Well, with that, we are out of time. So if
2: you have any projects you'd like to plug or if you'd like to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, I'm Jay. I'm from the a Palace fan site by Fans4Fans. We The last couple of seasons we've covered the Palace ladies and been really proud to do so. So um, getting involved in that side of the club and uh, getting to know the players and, and the management staff. And we'll be doing the same going forward next season as well. So we're, we're pleased to uh, be able to do that. We're also covering uh, the Women's World Cup You know, updates as we go. And also our Twitter feed is, it is full of World Cup information. So um, so go check the site out. And also you can contact us on Twitter at TheEaglesBeat.com.
3: Um, John Wallen. You can find me at Fantasy Gaffer on Twitter. i uh, running content over at PlayTaga, where we're running the Women's World Cup, available on all your devices, and both the uh, Google Play and Apple stores. And getting ready for English Premier League season 2015-16. We're putting together a 124-page preseason buying guide for all of your fantasy needs, including player capsules on more than 400 players, 20 team overviews, a handful of uh, cheat sheets and strategy articles and uh tweet at kev rob. get kev to start uh, writing some more analysis over at epl index we want to hear what he has to say he's one of nine fantasy sport experts taking part in the inaugural 10 team slow draft going on now you can find us on twitter at playtaga at kev rob at fantasy gaffer and uh come along give us your commentary on your picks as we're making them
4: how do, how do I follow that? <laughs> um, hmm. Andrew Gibb Andrew Gibney find me on Twitter Gibney underscore a. I'm covering the Women's World Cup at Bleacher Report. Uh, my my remit is. 23 teams not the usa pretty much so um, that's why i've been up to to 5 a.m watching all all kinds of teams also get me on women's sport uk i'm covering england on there that's where i cover the women's super league here as well looking at Man city liverpool and other teams and also check out french football weekly if you like your football little little francais we do league and league do national team and that's french ft weekly on twitter
1: Yep, and I'm your host, uh, Kevin DeVries. As John mentioned, I'm doing the slow draft over there with uh, Play Toga. I'm also starting to, to uh, compile fantasy rankings. They won't be out for a little bit, but that'll happen at some point. Also, I write for Jay sometimes over at theeglesbeak.com. So if you want to see any of my articles, you can go over there. And uh, in the interim, you can reach me on Twitter at KevRoth. And if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can always tweet us at EPL Roundtable or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.
0: Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.